0: I invite you to, to turn to our, our passage this morning. You'll find portions of it uh, printed out in your bulletin on pages 2 and 3. It's a great week if you have a Bible or you want to grab one from the bookshelf in the foyer or, or grab open up your iPad or iPhone to your Bible app, uh, because we're going to take in two big sections of two big chapters of Scripture. We're not going to read all of it. Numbers 26 and 27. Uh, we're starting to wrap up our series in the book of Numbers. Uh, we have a whole new sermon series planned <clears throat> for the fall, and so we got a, just a couple more weeks in, in Numbers. And uh, here, as we get into chapters 26 and 27, the book of Numbers itself is beginning to wrap up. Uh, the, really starting the, the conclusion of this book. Now, if you were here at the very beginning of our series, you might remember that the book opens... ...with God commanding that there is a census being, to be taken among God's people. That was how the book began. Now here we are at the end, and God commands another census to be taken. Uh, a numbering of God's people. That's where the title of the book comes from. Uh, and so we'll look at this, this second census, and then chapter 27. Another, uh, two other episodes of really important details as God wraps up uh, this time in the wilderness... Uh, so again, we won't read the whole, the whole uh, section together, but some key portions. Uh, first, just reading the first two verses of chapter 26. God's command. So we'll read there. Uh, after the plague, that's the, the plague that came as the God's people uh, sinned uh, with the daughters of Moab and ran after the, the Baal of Peor. Remember that last week? Phineas and the, and the spear and there. That plague came among God's people. So right after that, The Lord said to Moses and to Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel, from twenty years old and upward, by their fathers' houses, all in Israel who are able to go to war. And if you have your Bible there and scanned over verses 5 to 50 of chapter 26 there, uh, the text goes through tribe by tribe in Israel as all the, no- the males of military age are counted up and the number is given. You get the grand total in verse 51. And then there's this very important instruction in verses 52 to 56. We'll read that uh, as the Lord speaks again. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Among these the land shall be divided for, an in- for inheritance according to the number of names. To a large tribe you shall give a large inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a small inheritance. Every tribe shall be given its inheritance in proportion to its list. Uh, but, the Lord sh- but the land shall be divided by lots, according to the names of the tribes of their fathers they shall inherit. Their inheritance shall be divided according to lots between the larger and the smaller. The rest of 26 is a numbering of the Levites. They don't get a land inheritance because they're special servants of the Lord. And then you get into chapter 27, these two key episodes that we'll talk about. Let's let's read it together. Then the Lord drew near uh, the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, uh, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, son of Manasseh, from the clans of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. These were, uh, the names of his daughters were, Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milca, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest, and before the chiefs and all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but he died for his own sin. And he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan, because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, The daughters of Zelophehad are right. You shall give them a possession of an inheritance among your father's brothers, and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. You shall speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son... Then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest kinsman of his clan, and he shall possess it. And it shall be, for the people of Israel, a statute and a rule, as the Lord has commanded Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Go up to this mountain of abiram and see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. When you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people, as your brother Aaron was, because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin, when the congregation quarreled, failing to uphold me as holy at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah, of Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over this congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eliezer, the priest, and all the congregation, that you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And, Joshua, uh, and he took Joshua and made him stand before Eliezer the priest and the whole congregation, And he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord. Signs of sure hope. Signs of sure hope. That's a great way to summarize these two chapters of Scripture. That here is God giving these three different pointers, signs, Uh, assuring his people that he will keep his promise. Particularly that promise to bring Israel into the long-awaited promised land. Signs uh, of hope. They will receive it. God will do it. Sure hope. For a people who is deliverance into the promised land of Canaan, for us, uh, it's, it's, it's deliverance into the greater promised land. God promising that he will will bring us into that heavenly heavenly Canaan, that heavenly promised land. What did we read of in 1 Peter? But uh, God has us reborn into this living hope, right? An inheritance kept in heaven for us. Uh, But as Peter said, that inheritance, it's it's kept for us in the future, but it's it's already started now. Uh, We already have a, a taste of that of that heavenly promised land now, as we're as we're born again in Christ and given this new life and the, the down payment of the Holy Spirit, uh, dwelling with God dwelling with us even now. And so this, this sure hope, well, that's for us as well. And here, God in his word gives us signs that we can we can confidently trust in those promises. We can rest in that sure hope. Uh, three different signs. Uh, you got to kind of wade through the details to see the encouragement, but as we, as we go through, I think, I think you'll see uh, God encourages his people. So the first sign is this, the new census. The new census, and the, the powerful message is grace triumphs over sin. Grace triumphs over sin. So as we said, this is the, the second census uh, in the book of Numbers. It kind of forms the bookends uh, to the, to the, the work at the beginning and at the end, and so it just kind of begs us to compare and contrast the two censuses, census accounts. They're almost identical in format, uh, as Israel is numbered tribe by tribe in almost the identical order. Uh, all of the males of military age are, are listed and numbered, and then you get a grand total at the end, so a very almost identical format. There are some really glaring differences uh, whereas in the first account, it's almost all names and numbers. In this second account, you get woven in, at several different points, some historical reminders. And, and each of these historical reminders are reminders of episodes where God's people have sinned uh, and it brought about death. Uh, so, for example, if you, if you happen to have your the, the full text in front of you, uh, on verse 9 of chapter uh, 26... The text goes out of its way in the second census to remind the reader of Dathan and Abiram and Korah's rebellion. Uh, this rebellion against Moses and against the Lord, where, by the way, it reminds Israel, they died. And there's a similar reminder in verse 19, where we're told of Judah's sons, Er and Onan, and in their wickedness and how they died, all the way back in the book of Genesis. Uh, and then again in verse 61, uh, the text goes out of its way to mention uh, the priests Nadab and Abihu uh, who, who brought uh, unauthorized offerings to the Lord, rebelling against God And they too were uh, killed for their disobedience And then the entire census wraps up with this reminder that the whole first generation died in the wilderness for their sins uh, So this is something that didn't show up in the first census But it shows up prominently here, woven throughout the names and numbers, these repeated reminders of past sins and how that sin resulted in judgment. Now, that doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? Uh, But but that's actually the the backdrop uh, for what God is is doing and what he's promising in the midst of this census. Uh, That he's promising against that dark backdrop of the ugliness of sin in the past that God's going to give them the land anyway. Uh, So, for example, you have the the outcome of the census. Right, the grand total. uh, It's listed there in verse 51, that uh, the males of military age, 601,730, which, again, begs comparison with the first census. And if you flip back to chapter 1, you discover that the grand total uh, of Israel's army is almost identical ...to what it was 40 years ago. So think about that. Uh, That after 40 years of wandering and sin and rebellion and sin bringing uh, the righteous judgment of death... ...after 40 years of that, Israel is as strong today as it ever was. Uh, As capable and strong in the might of the Lord uh, to go into the promised land as it ever was. That right in the midst of sin... God's grace has triumphed. Now you get another reminder of that um, in in verse 52 and following, that little uh, section we read together, that we're told something that wasn't mentioned in the first census, that this data of names and numbers is not just a numbering of of the army, but this is what's going to be used to divide up the promised land. Uh, that they, and you kind of get this picture, they haven't set a single foot into the land yet, but already God is talking about how they're going to be dividing it up, how it's going to be divvied out among them. Uh, right, you start to see the picture, right, you know, maybe you think of of, of God's people Israel, they're, they're, they're kind of scratching their heads, a bit, bit dumbfounded, right, they've just wandered for 40 years, and now, and right, all this sin is the background, uh, and, and they're saying, hold it, God's, God's really going to give it to us? Like, like not just maybe, not just someday, but he's really going to give it to us? Like, he's already started to divide it up? The plan's already in place? We haven't even set foot in it? and It's really going to happen? Yes, God says. We can really do it? Yes, God says. You're as strong as you ever were. Uh, all by God's grace. Right? Clearly not because they deserved it. Clearly not because uh, their past... Uh, got them entry in because God's just rehearsed their past. It looks awful. But that's the whole point of grace. Grace triumphing uh, over over sin. Uh, And isn't isn't that our great hope in the wilderness? Uh, That that God's grace would triumph over our sin? That if it were just you and me and and we were examining our past, uh, and if that's all there was, uh, how we did in the past, what, what we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? Uh, it, it would look very much like Israel's uh, past. But this good news is, the good news of the gospel, the good news that comes in Christ, is that God gives us the promised land. He gives us eternal life anyway. That we can scratch our heads and say, you mean, you mean he's really going to give it to us? right? Despite everything? Yes, God says. Um, you... you might know this is the the time of the year when when uh, college-age parents take their kids off to college and and maggie and i have talked to a a number of different first-time parents first time dropping their kids off at school and and so we've commiserated with just how incredibly difficult that is for parents uh how how it's this this gut-wrenching emotional experience uh, for moms and dads a kind of a kind of death almost that it feels like. That your, your kids going off in this period of life is just gone. And, and, and also commiserating as I as I was recently with another, another parent with, with just how guilty you can feel in that moment. Uh, how in that moment, all of a sudden, 18 years of parenting failures just kind of weighs on you. Uh, and it's just like, ugh. Well, I was also commiserating, or as we were talking with this one, I was talking with this one parent this week. We were also then reminding ourselves of the good news of the gospel, right? This, this very truth that God's giving here. That if it, if it were just uh, a, a God treating us and our kids uh, according to our past, right? According to how well we did in those 18 years or in those 40 years, or, you know, if it was God just treating us uh, how we did in those last years, well, we're all in trouble. Uh, and, that, and that sense of guilt and failure is, is the final word. But here's the good news of the gospel. That's not the final word. It's not God treating us as our record deserves. This good news of this new generation being given the land anyway is this gospel reminder of, no, grace triumphs. over here. It's not about us and our record, uh, but about God giving us exactly what we don't deserve. And that is very good news for Christian parents, it's really very good news for all of us, right? Because this is, this is the hope for all of us, right? If it were just us and our past record, we're, we're in trouble. Uh, but the good news is uh, that God gives this reminder uh, of what he has done, the kind of God he is, and the kind of salvation he has in Christ. Uh, and we can say to ourselves, wait a minute, God's, God's actually going to give it to us after all that? Right? He's actually going to divide up the inheritance. He's actually going to give us eternal life in Christ, uh, that that heavenly treasure, and it begins right now. And, and God says, "Yes, uh, in Christ, it's ours, and we don't even deserve it." So, a sign uh, of of grace triumphing over sin. A second sign of sure hope comes in the form of these bold daughters. And the message, we could summarize this way, an inheritance for all God's people. So in chapter 27, we're told about these five daughters of this man, Zelophehad. And Zelophehad is of the first generation, and he's died in the wilderness like the the rest of that generation. Only Zelophehad has no sons, only these five daughters. Now this presents a real crisis situation for, for this family. Because as chapter 26 described... The land was going to be divided up, and it was going to be divided up according to tribe and according to family. Uh, And in Israel, like in most traditional cultures, uh, the inheritance got passed through sons. Uh, Females got their share of their, their parents' wealth through a dowry, and then they were connected with their husband's family. But in terms of the inheritance, and here the land, it would go through sons. But only Zelophehad has no sons. Uh, And so this land, uh, this promised land, which is such more than just real estate, right? It's this picture of of their relationship with God, this picture of of heaven itself and dwelling in the presence of the almighty God, right? This land, uh, if everything goes according to past rules, will just disappear from their family. They won't get any of it. And the name of this family disappears. And so it's this crisis situation for this family. And, and so what do these daughters do? Well, they're very bold, right? They go right to Moses, right in the midst of, uh, of the congregation, right? You think in traditional cultures, these are the, these are the, the, the kind of individuals that the, the world forgets about, all right? Orphans, uh, probably very young uh, women, because they're not married yet, it seems like. And yet they go very boldly before Moses before the whole congregation and and they they say give us our inheritance uh, we, we have a right to our inheritance and Moses takes it before the Lord and what is what does the Lord say there in verse seven uh, it's it's emphatic uh, these daughters are right in fact that's actually the first word in verse seven right they're right uh, they're what they ask for is good it's it's true, it's just, it's upright. They got it. Uh, that these daughters, and not just them, any any family like them from here out, where there is no sons, uh, if that the daughters will receive the inheritance. So that there is no family among God's people who will miss out on the promised land. There is no family that... That will get get cut off from the land. That each and every one, even those that the world will be tempted to forget about, they too will be guaranteed their share among God's people. Uh, In many ways, doesn't it remind us of Jesus and and his ministry? Uh, How Jesus seems to, to very intentionally in his ministry go to those that the world so easily forgets about. Uh, goes, to, goes to children, and, and lepers, and women, and Samaritans, and notorious sinners, and seems to very intentionally uh, direct his ministry to them to have this powerful message of, yes, uh, you're included too, the least of these, uh, a full share in, in the kingdom. And you might remember in a lot of these cases, uh, it's actually the least of these who are often very, very bold with Jesus. And at every point, Jesus commends them, right? Remember, you might think of that, that woman who's had this health condition for years, and she, she grabs onto Jesus' cloak, right? A very bold, brazen uh, move, uh, but she grabs onto it, right? Give me my inheritance, as it were. Or uh, you might think of the, the blind Bartimaeus, uh, how everyone tells him to shut up, and he just shouts all the louder, right? Jesus, have mercy on me. Or maybe you think of that uh, that Gentile woman uh, who audaciously comes right back at Jesus and says, "Yeah, but even even the dogs get the crumbs that fall on the ground." Uh, but these brazen, bold moves, and in every play, every time, Jesus commends them for their faith. Right? They get it. They get it right. Right? Just like these daughters of Zelophehad, they get it uh, that the inheritance. That comes in the kingdom of God all by grace is for all God's people. Not a single one is cut off uh, uh, through in Christ. Uh, not any one of the least of these is forgotten about uh, in the Lord. And this bold faith, this this give me my inheritance is, is a real reflection of the of the heart of God. Uh, can you can you see the can you see the short hope for us? Uh, that, that God will will never forget about His people. Uh, there's not not one of us who will get who will get forgotten about or lost in the in the mix. Uh, that all of us, through faith in Christ only, uh, but receive that fullness of life. Uh, and it begins even now, and it comes in that promised land to come. So one more one more picture of hope. Then, as we turn to uh, our third point and the new Moses and God providing. Uh, a shepherd. So here you have another problem, another bold request, and another provision of the Lord. This time the problem is Moses is going to die. Right? Moses, the one who led them out of Egypt, the one who led them throughout the promised land, uh, Moses is going to die. And Moses comes boldly to the Lord and says, Lord, you've got to provide another leader, uh, right? another shepherd, he says. We're at verse 17. Uh, one who who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Right. Appoint a new leader, uh, a new shepherd to guide God's people uh, so that they, so they're so they not stuck outside the promised land, uh, so that they're not, uh, not left without, without a shepherd uh, to guide them. And God, again again responds, yes, exactly. And he appoints Joshua, right? This deputy of, of Moses who's been at Moses' side throughout the 40 years. Now Joshua, through the through the laying on of hands, receives the authority of Moses, and, and he's going to be the, the, the new Moses. He's going to be the new shepherd of God's people and lead them in into the promised land. So God's people won't be like sheep without a shepherd. Yeah, they have someone to lead them. Although, even in the text here, we're we're given these hints that Joshua, as great as he is, won't be quite as good as Moses. Uh, And and so, for example, verse 21, uh, Joshua is going to be directed by God, but not like Moses was directed by God. You might remember, throughout Numbers and Exodus, there's this emphasis that Moses heard the voice of God directly from the Lord. Moses met with God as if face to face. He heard from the Lord, but here's Joshua. Joshua is still directed by God, but it comes through the priest, uh, through the priest seeking the Lord with this, this special stone, the Urim. Uh, so it's it's indirectly, not quite as quite as powerful and and direct as as the great Moses. So even then, we're getting this little hint of, okay, it's kind of like Moses, but not quite as great. Maybe someone, maybe someone as great as Moses is still going to come. Uh, and you get another flash of that with, uh, with generations later with King David. In fact, that's the that's the only other time in scripture that you get uh, you get this verse 17 language showing up altogether. Uh, that that language of, of going out and coming in and shepherding God's people. It only shows up altogether one other time, and that's in 2 Samuel 5. And the people are talking about King David. Right? You are the one who has, who has led God's people out and Brought them in and, and shepherded God's people, right? King David. So maybe he's the great one like Moses. Uh, but then you keep reading Second Samuel and you realize David fails in his shepherding of God's people, right? Fails pretty badly as he uh, as he sins uh, in the adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. This very time when he should have gone out with the armies of Israel. Uh, Instead, he doesn't shepherd God's people, he devours the sheep. Uh, So as good as David is, he's not the great Moses to come. Uh, We need someone better. And of course, that's who Jesus is. That's where the story goes. Uh, It arrives in this one, actually, even greater than Moses. Uh, This one who comes and and leads God's people out and brings them in. He He is the ultimate good shepherd. He's the one who leads God's people into eternal life, uh, shepherding them by laying down his life uh, over the sheep. Um, you might, you might uh, recognize that language of, of uh, verse 27 in our text, or verse 17. Um, because Jesus, it's, it's referred in the Gospels of, to Jesus. That Jesus looks over the crowds uh, and and he has compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Right? It's quoting Numbers 27. And here, here is the ultimate Moses. Uh, and Jesus looking at, at where we would be if we had no, if we had no shepherd. Uh, we, would be, we would be in trouble. We would be helpless. We would have no one to lead us into the promised land, but die outside in our sin. That's where we would be, without a leader, without a Moses, without a, a shepherd. But here is this one Jesus who comes. And he has Compassion. Right? That, that grace that's greater than our sin. And he has compassion on us and takes up this role of, of the great and ultimate and final shepherd. Uh, leading his people, even us, uh, into, into life. Leading us into life by, by dying for the sheep, right? Bearing our sin, which would keep us out. And that he bears that judgment, that death for us, so that he and the power of life can lead us into. Uh, into that great inheritance that's kept in heaven for us, that great life that's already dawned now, uh, and it's in Christ. Right? This is why you you can't have the glories uh, of the inheritance, the glories of life and eternal life, without Jesus, because only Jesus is the good shepherd that leads us into it. Uh, so there's the first and foremost. Uh, you got to cling to Jesus as as your only hope. Apart from Him, we're we're harassed and helpless. Uh, but, but our sure hope uh, is Jesus. So trust in the Lord Jesus. And there, is, there is life. Trust in what he's done. There is our only hope. But with him, right, a sure hope. We have one uh, to lead us uh, into life. He's already done it uh, through his death and his resurrection. Sure hope in the wilderness. That's good news. Because it is. It's very tempting to feel hopeless uh, in the midst of, of the world, in the midst of the wilderness so so take to heart these signs of hope right this this census uh, this reminder of God's grace greater than all our sin uh, or these bold daughters an inheritance for all God's people, uh, a new Moses right Jesus himself, a shepherd uh, for God's people to lead us into life such powerful and sure hope, Uh, that it makes us very bold. Uh, Actually, that's the language of Paul in 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, Paul makes this powerful statement. He says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Think about that. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. It it, it makes us think of the daughters of Zelophehad. Taking to heart the hope of, Yeah, God's really going to give us the land. And so it makes them very bold, give us our inheritance. Uh, And God says, yes. That's the kind of boldness that God calls us to. Uh, That's the right response to this sure hope. It's not that we're trying to impress God, uh, but it's because we have this hope that we're bold. Uh, So bold this week to, to live as those who actually belong to Christ. Uh, bold this week to to renounce any shameful ways that don't fit with the life of Jesus. Bold this week not to live for yourself, uh, but to, to live uh, to to for Christ and for for service to God's people. Bold this week to uh, to point others to Christ, whether it's your kids, talking not parenting, or or whether it's your neighbors or your spouse, or bold to point others to Jesus. Not bold because we're trying to impress God, or bold because we're trying to buy our way into the land. But what does Paul say? Because we have such a hope, we're very bold. Uh, so having taken in this, this, these signs of sure hope that's all by grace, uh, ask yourself, what does it look like for me to be very bold this week? What does it look like for me to have that, have that daughters of Zelophehad boldness, Right? Right? I lay claim to my inheritance. I lay claim to this new life. What does that look like for you? Is there a particular thing you need to cast off? A particular person that God's called you to sacrificially serve or, or speak about to, to Jesus? We're saved from our past uh, and, not, and not enslaved to it so that we might not continue in it. That's the good news. Uh, right? God bringing us out, not just from the guilt, but into newness of life. So, because you have such a hope, we are very bold, all because of Jesus. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you and praise awesome. you for the good news of the gospel and the good news of what you have done in your son. Father, we pray that you would give us renewed faith in Christ and trust in him. Uh, and, a, and a renewed boldness to live uh, as his people, even in our day. Even as we look forward to that fullness of life that you promised to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well,